نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah We praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness And we seek refuge in Allah From the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray And whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone And that He has no partners or associates And I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is a slave servant and his messenger. Uh, we'd like to begin this afternoon where we left off two weeks ago in the points related to Al-Ma'rifah fi ulum al-Hadith an introduction to the science of Hadith by Sheikh Suhaib Hassan Abdul Ghaffar Afilahullah, may Allah protect and preserve him uh, and, and that lecture, we began to review some of the notes from the handouts from the lecture, the first lecture and the second lecture which is a general presentation of Mustalah Hadith and what it entails and some of the fundamental uh, terminologies that are important such as Al-Isnad, Al-Matan, Musnad and so on. What are the benefits of Mustalah Hadith? And we also talked about the divisions of Hadith that would be covered in the book uh, such as the classification of hadith according to the number of narrators or reporters at each level classification of hadith according to whether or not the hadith should be accepted or rejected or other than that and also the reasons why hadith may, re- may, may be rejected and this is very important the reasons why hadith may be rejected because ultimately um, perhaps the most important benefit of Mustalah Hadith is the ability to distinguish between those Hadith which are accepted which we are required to act upon and believe in and those Hadith which are rejected, which we are not allowed to act upon and we are not allowed to base our beliefs our practices upon them and therefore the reasons why Hadith uh, or why a narrator might be accepted or rejected are very important and we said that uh, the first reason why hadith might be rejected is due to a break in the chain and the second reason is due to critical remarks about the narrator or the narrators, the narrators themselves and we said that as far as the break in the chain the breaks in the chain are of many types such as mu'allaq, mursal Mu'adal uh, and so on and Munqati'ah and we said that concerning the of the narrator critical remarks it may be related to his accuracy in reporting but or it may be in, in relation to his character Al-Adala and the remarks are of many types and the third thing we said which um, we discussed on that occasion is Al-Jahala the narrator who we don't know about his 
reliability as a narrator, his accuracy in reporting his memory, nor do we know about his character. And we said that Jahala is of three is of two main types, Majhul al Hal and Majhul al Ain. And we also mentioned Mastur. We talked about those things in some detail. Uh, and finally, and this is very important really to understand the reasons why a hadith may be rejected, either due to a break in the chain, a missing narrator, or through or due to critical remarks of the narrator himself. Uh, the, the next uh, lecture, briefly, what we talked about, there are a number of questions, and it's based upon the introduction of Sheikh Suhaib. Based upon his introduction, I sort of outlined some of the main points that he mentioned in the inter- introduction in question and answer form. Is the authentic sunnah considered as revelation? He talked about this. Is the sunnah, the authentic sunnah, were the sayings or practices of the Prophet ﷺ. In lecture number three, we discuss whether or not it is considered revelation. And we said that the sunnah, we said that the sunnah is the second source of revelation, that the Qur'an and sunnah are both revelation. And this is very important, whether the sayings or actions or approvals of the Prophet ﷺ, all of this is considered as revelation. The second question, or the second point that he mentioned, and we phrased it as a question, one of the primary parts of a hadith, and this is also of the fundamentals of the technical terminology of Mustallah, that the hadith consists of two main parts, which are the Sanad, or Isnad, and the Matin, the text. Then we said, why is the Isnad important? And we mentioned the statement of Abdul ibn Mubarak, the Isnad is part of the Deen. The Isnad, and the chain of narrators, as a criterion to determine the authenticity or unacceptability of a hadith. This science, it is a part of the Deen of Islam that preserved the Deen from corruption. And had it not been for the Isnad, whoever wished would have said whatever they wished. Then we said, why is there a need for verification of the Isnad? The need for verification of the Isnad is because there may be a break in the chain of narrators and if there is a break then we can't determine the authenticity and therefore we cannot accept a hadith that has a break in the chain. So we have to examine the Isnad to know if there is a break and also another reason why we have to examine the Isnad is to look at the narratives. Perhaps there is fabrication, intentional fabrication and for this reason it is of the utmost importance that the chains of narratives are examined before the acceptance of a hadith. Then we talked about yani, the brief history of Mustalah hadith and yani, you can go back to the notes to look at it but the important thing we said that the first stage in the history of Mustalah hadith was oral transmission and yani, the information related to Mustalah hadith was transmitted orally only it wasn't written down in the early stages but the, these matters and principles and rules and regulations and technical terminology, they were only transmitted from the scholars to their students orally. And in the second stage, they were written. But they were not written in independent books dealing with the subject of Mustalah Hadith, but they were written as sections or parts of other books related to other topics. And then finally in the third stage, the last stage, is when the scholars began to author books specifically related to Mustalah Hadith. Uh, And we mentioned, some of those books uh, in the following lecture number four where we talked about Rijal al-Hadith uh, and this topic of Rijal al-Hadith also is 
one of the most important subjects in Mustalah Hadith because it is the biographies, the biographies of the narratives of Hadith that give us the basis through which we can determine the acceptability of a Hadith or the absence of it. Uh, and these biographies discuss the accredence or the lack of it for the various scholars related to two factors, the two important factors in the biography or in the critical examination of the narrator is his dubbed, his accuracy in reporting that he have a good memory or not and his character, was he of good character or not and these two factors are of the utmost importance and we mentioned some of the comments or some of the type of terminology that's used to describe narratives as Imam, Hafiz, Thiqa, Thab, Yukhti, Da'if, Matruq and so on and these terminologies determine whether or not the hadith will be classified as authentic, Sahih or Hasan or will be rejected as Da'if or Da'if Jiddan, very Da'if or if it will be Matruq, rejected or Mawdu'a, fabricated and so on determine, and depending upon the terminology that the scholars use after examining, critically examining the biographies of the narrators and discussing their levels of accuracy and character then they would you know, use this kind of terminology and based on that terminology the hadith would be classified according to the various classifications and we discuss Rijal al-Hadith in some detail but what's the subject of Rijal al-Hadith and the biographies and how to examine the critical remarks concerning the narrators and if there is conflict between different um, scholars some, one who said that that reporter was a good narrator and the other one said that he was a weak narrator when there was conflict how do we deal with it we discussed it in some detail um, but it's not expected يعني, that everyone has to understand that topic completely uh, it really requires a separate course in and of itself the important thing related to Rijal al-Hadith is that there are terminologies that the scholars use and we should have some idea about those terminologies so that when we see them we know that it is something favorable or disparaging and also we should know that the scholars who classified the narratives of hadith that they used uh, that they were themselves classified also the scholars who used to write the biographies and say that this scholar was accepted or this narrative was accepted or rejected or whatever he was weak or strong that even those scholars they were also classified by other scholars those who were very very strict in their classifications those who are very lenient in their classifications and those who are mu'tadil or in between yani fair and balanced and that's important because especially when there's only one scholar for example who gives someone accreditation like Ibn Hibban rahimahullah for example uh, and he was considered to be from the third group the mutasahil or those who are relatively lenient in giving accreditation while he was the opposite in, criti- in criticizing a narrator if they had and if there were critical remarks made against them then he was and just the opposite he was and very very strict if there was any critical remark made against a narrator he would reject him outright completely totally without consideration but as long as there, nobody had said anything bad about a narrator then he was very easygoing and lenient and he would accept them even if he didn't know that the narrator really was a good reporter but as long as nobody said anything about him his principle was that those who no one has said anything against and we accept them and the rule in general dealings with Muslims is that as long as we don't have any proof about a person and he being negative or any having bad behavior 
then we assume and we accept them as being a good Muslim. That's in general activity, but in narrating hadith it's not like that. We cannot say somebody is good unless we have a proof that they are good. Unless we have a proof. But Ibn Hibban, rahimahullah, he used to accept narratives and say that they were fiqh. Or he would mention them, or at least he would mention them in his book of, of reliable narratives and fiqhat. Even though nobody had given them accreditation. Nobody had verified or certified that they were good reporters. But as long as nobody said anything bad about them, then he would include them in his book, fiqhat. And he would accept them as being reliable narratives. In any case, those scholars, if we know that a scholar is mutasahil, or of those who are very easy in giving accreditation, and they were the only person who accredited somebody, then it wouldn't be acceptable. We wouldn't accept the hadith based on the accreditation of somebody who was easygoing. But if it was only one person who gave them accreditation, and he was from those who were very, very strict, then we would accept it, because we know that he didn't verify anybody or give them accreditation, except he examined it carefully. And he, he didn't give accreditation easily. So, and this is a point that's important to keep in mind. Uh, when we examine hadith and we see that the scholars differed in their statements concerning a reporter, we have to look, at, look and see, was he of those who were very easy in giving accreditation, or those who were very strict in giving accreditation, or was he of those who were in the middle, or atadim, or balanced? Uh, so we talked about that, and now is not the time uh, to go into detail, but anyway, there's some uh, information related to that in the handout, in lecture number four. Uh, now, we also talked about some of the books, the biographies of narrators, and of course the names of those books are not necessary for you to memorize, but the purpose in giving the names of those books was to and give you some idea about the important books that were written concerning this topic and to have some idea how those books were uh, also classified some of them dealing only with reliable reporters some of them dealing only with weak or rejected reporters and some of them being inclusive of both types of reporters and we gave some examples of each of those three types okay now after this we began to discuss the classification of hadith with reference to a particular authority and this grouping of hadith or classification of hadith according to the authority who it is reported from was it reported from the Prophet ﷺ as his statement or was it reported as a statement of Sahaba or Tabi'een, those who came after them and so on um, and we said that there are three main categories here and we should know these categories very well at least if we didn't memorize the definitions, we should know them and understand them well. The first of them is Al Marfu'. Al we said Al Marfu' linguistically it means to be raised up. And the technical definition, which is the important definition, Al Marfu' is that which has been ascribed to or attributed to the Prophet as a statement of his. And this is important because the statements of the Prophet are distinguished from the statements of anyone other than him and the statements of the Prophet if they are verified as being authentic then they are proof and a source of legislation in Islam whereas if it is mawquf the second category those statements which are mawquf we said it means linguistically that which is stopped and technically it means that which is attributed to a sahabi radiallahu anhum ajma'in yani that which a Sahabi, he made a statement, and he didn't say that he heard it from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. This is mawkuf, and um, 
We also discussed in Mawkuf, and that's an, an important point which we should keep in mind, that there are some hadith or some reports which are, are narrated as a statement of a Sahabi. But yet, it takes the ruling of being marfu'. It's a statement of Sahabi, but it takes the ruling of being marfu'. Hukman, al-marfu' hukman. Because of the fact that it deals with a matter that there's no room in that particular, there's no يعني, opportunity or there's no right for anyone to speak about it, except through revelation. And if a Sahabi says something about the next life or something about the previous nations, that there was no way for him to know, except that it came in the Qur'an or from the Prophet ﷺ, but it's attributed to him as his statement, then we know that he can't know about the unseen matters. So he must have heard it from the Prophet ﷺ, and therefore it takes on the ruling as being marfur. Even though he didn't say that he heard it from the Prophet ﷺ, except if he was from amongst those Sahaba who are known to narrate from the Ahl Kitab, Israeliyat. If he, if he was known to narrate from Ahl Kitab, it's possible that that thing which he narrates or reports about matters of unseen, maybe he didn't hear it from the Prophet ﷺ, maybe he got it from the Ahl Kitab, because also they received revelation. And those reports which are from Israeliyat, from Ahl Kitab, we don't say that they are accepted nor rejected. And the Prophet ﷺ allowed them to be reported. But we only accept them if they are in agreement with the Sharia of Islam, the Qur'an and Sunnah, and if they are not, then we reject it. Otherwise, we don't take a stand concerning them. Uh, and we discussed this in some detail. We said that if um, a companion of the Prophet ﷺ said, we used to do such and such and so and so in the time of the Prophet, then this takes on the ruling of Marfu'an, because the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ is whatever he said and whatever he did and whatever he approved of. So if they did it in his time, if it was wrong, he would have criticized them and told them. If he didn't, that means he accepted it. Therefore, it is considered as part of the sunnah. So in this kind of statement, it should be considered as yani, taking the ruling of marfu'an, even though maybe a statement of sahaba. And the second category we said is, uh, the third category is maktur, which literally means to be severed or to be cut off, and the technical meaning of maktur, it means that which is attributed to a tabi'i or someone after them. So this, concerning the hadith yani, uh, related to who, who, the, who the report is coming from or who it has been attributed to, and we said there are three main categories, marfu'un, attributed to the Prophet mawkuhun, attributed to sahaba, and maktu'un, attributed to tabi or those after them. And we also said, it was mentioned also, that sometimes the Prophet used to say, this is what has been report, reported. It was, يعني, this is what I have heard from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that would be a hadith Qudsi. And that's another category. We can say that there's hadith Qudsi also. Uh, in the fifth lecture, we talked about classification hadith with reference to the links in the Isnad. Classification hadith with reference to the links in the isnad in consideration of whether the chain is broken or unbroken. If it is unbroken, it is muttasal. And if it is broken, it is munqati'ah. And muttasal, it means that there is a complete chain. There is no break in it. 
But it doesn't necessarily have to be going all the way back to the Prophet ﷺ. A hadith or a, 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 a tradition may be muttasil. The chain is complete, only going back to a sahaba, but with a complete chain. So muttasil, it merely means that the chain is complete. But if it is attributed to the Prophet, it has another name. If it is marfu'un and muttasilun, huh? Huh? I, I didn't hear Mutawatir, la. La. If it is marfu'un, mutawatir means it has many narrators in every level, many chains of narration. If it is muttasil, complete chain, and marfu'un, attributed to the Prophet Wasallam, he said this is musnad. Musnad. Musnad has two characteristics. It has a complete chain and attributed to the Prophet Wasallam. So if we said that hadith may be classified according to the chain, breaking the chain or otherwise, if it has a break in the chain, in general it's munqati'ah. If it has no break, it's muttasil. And muttasil, if it's also marfu'an, going all the way back to the Prophet, it's musnad. Musnad. And we said musnad has different uh, definitions. Musnad also is it's a term used to refer to a book in which the hadith are classified in groups according to the sahaba who narrated it from the Prophet All the hadith of Abu Huraira in one chapter. All the hadith of Aisha in one chapter and so on like this. That's also called musnad, like the musnad of Imam Ahmed, Rahimahullah, the Musnad of Bazaar, and so on. These, the Musnad of Abu, da- Abu Dawood, Al-Tayalasi, uh, Al-Sakhtiyani. No, it's Tayalasi. Abu Dawood, Al-Tayalasi has a Musnad, as opposed to Abu Dawood, Al-Sakhtiyani, who has the famous book that's well known to all of us, the Sunan of Abu Dawood. In any case, that's Musnad. Musnad means Muttasal, complete chain, and Marfu'an, children to the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. If it has a break in the chain, it's munqatiya in general. Munqatiya means that there's a break in the chain. And we should distinguish between munqatiya and maqtu'ah. Because they are from the same root. Means that something is cut off or broken. But munqatiya, it refers to the fact that there is a missing link. And maqtu'ah doesn't mean that there is any missing link. But it's cut off from going back to the Prophet Okay, so be careful between maqtu'ah and munqatiya. Munqatiya refers to a missing link and depending on where that missing link is at if it's in the beginning of the isnad from the one who collected the hadith like Imam al-Bukhari or Muslim or Abu Dawood rahimahumullah then that is classified if the break is from the one who collected it it is classified as mu'allaq mu'allaq when the break is in the beginning of the isnad from the collector of the hadith it's called mu'allaq if it's at the end from the sahabi from the position of sahabi then is called Mursal. And if it is having two consecutive breaks in it, it's called Mu'adal. All of these terminologies <coughs> we discussed in some detail. And uh, inshallah, we should look over them. The, the one terminology here that requires some discussion is Mursal. Because Mursal, we discussed this in a lot of detail. And he said that there is a difference of opinion. Some of the scholars said that a Mursal hadith is da'if, it's rejected. And some of them said that it's accepted. And some said, like Al-Imam Shafi, rahimahullah, said that it may be accepted if it fulfills conditions. If it fulfills conditions. And from amongst those conditions, a Mursal hadith should be, for example, narrated from the Kibar Tabi'een, those major students of Sahaba, major successes, those who heard most of the hadith from Sahaba. Because a Mursal Hadith, remember we said that a Mursal Hadith, it is a Hadith in which a Tabi 
reports from the Prophet The Tabi'i, like Muhammad ibn Shireen, or Sa'id ibn Musayyib, or any of the Tabi'i, he says, Qala Rasul But he didn't meet the Prophet How can he say so? That means there's a break. This is a Mursal Hadith. The problem with a Mursal Hadith is, we don't know if the Tabi'i heard it from a Sahabi, or if he heard it from another Tabi'i who heard it from a Sahabi. And this is a problem. If we know that he heard it from a Sahabi, no problem. All of the Sahaba are accepted. We don't uh, examine the credibility of Sahaba. They are accepted without question. But we don't know, did he hear from Sahaba? Or did he hear from someone else who heard from Sahaba? Therefore, for that reason, the Mursal Hadith, in fact, it should be considered or classified under the weak Hadith. Except, according to the opinion of Imam al-Shafi, and those with him, who held that it can be accepted with conditions. And those conditions are pretty stringent. If they are fulfilled, then it's pretty likely that that hadith really would be acceptable. If those conditions are fulfilled. But amongst them is that it should be narrated from one of the kibar al-tabi'een. Those who, most of the hadith, they heard them from sahaba. So, they are pretty safe in saying that that hadith, if the rest of the Islam is okay, it's alright, because the sahaba, all of them, are acceptable. That is, of course, after looking at the rest of the Islam, before him. We have to look at that also. But we are only concerned here if the rest of the Isnad is okay. We're concerned about the missing link. Is it Sahaba or other than Sahaba? Uh, also, he said that if that hadith is narrated from a different chain of narratives, a completely different chain of narratives, which also might have some weakness, like a break in the chain, but uh, it is yani, supporting it. Because the same information is reported through a different isnad, which suggests to us that perhaps uh, yani, the, the possibility of it being yani, an error or mistake is lessened. Also, uh, if it is in agreement with the saying of Sahaba, if that which is reported in that Mursal hadith is in agreement with the saying of Sahaba, then it may also be yani, strengthened through this way. Also, if it is known that the person who narrated that hadith, who left out that link after the tabi'i, if that person narrates hadith, which other reliable reporters narrated, and if we look at the hadith that they reported, and other reliable reporters narrated those same hadith, and what he narrates is in agreement with what they narrate, then this also suggests that he is reliable, that we can accept from him, and so on. These are some of the the things that Imam al-Shafi in his book Al-Risala discussed related to Mursal Hadith and it was a lengthy discussion, we talked about it in some detail but you should go back and look at it uh, and finally related to Mursal Hadith there is also Mursal Sahabi yani the Mursal Hadith that is from a Sahabi perhaps from the younger companions of the Prophet who may have heard Hadith not directly from the Prophet because they were very young Maybe they only lived a few years during the lifetime of the Prophet, or maybe they were children, babies, and he died while they were babies. That hadith, if they reported directly from the Prophet then it's mursal, because we don't know who they heard it through. But since the Sahaba normally would only narrate it from another companion, then it's accepted. And it's, it's, it's perhaps something rare if it happened that a Sahaba narrates a hadith from a tabi, they heard from a tabi. It is more than likely in mostly every case that he heard from another Sahaba and therefore the Mursal of Sahaba or Mursal Sahabi is accepted as a legitimate proof in the deen.
So this is what we discussed there. In the next lecture, number six, we talked about mutawatir or the classification hadith according to the number of reporters at each stage of the chain. And we'll save that for another time. We'll come back to discussing it. But you should review your notes from the handouts from lecture number six from that point and look at you know what we talked about there because um, it is important to go over these terminologies and the things related to them in order that they stay clear in your mind. Uh, time is it? 4.15? We said that we would like to discuss some practical application of tatbiq of mustalah hadith during the month of Ramadan and we took some hadith last week but not related to fasting. So from today and the next lectures inshallah we'll discuss hadith related specifically to Ramadan fasting. The first hadith uh, is from the hadith which we mentioned last week. Now these hadith are widespread mentioned by many people in the khutbah, on the radio, in the newspapers, and in books, hadith which are yani well known to the people, and everyone repeats them, but they are not authentic, and they should not be attributed to the Prophet ﷺ. We just mentioned them in passing, and today we'd like to have some discussion concerning some of those hadith. The first of them is the hadith which has been attributed to the Prophet ﷺ. لو يعلم العباد ما في رمضان لا تمنت أمتي أن يكون رمضان that if the slaves of Allah, Al-Ibad, if they knew what was of benefit and goodness in Ramadan, they would have hoped. My Ummah would have hoped that Ramadan would be for the whole year, the whole of the year. I yani that Ramadan wouldn't be one month in the year, but what we do in Ramadan would be for 12 months in the year. And he said, Inna al-Jannah la tuzayyin. لرمضان من رأس الحول إلى الحول to the end of the hadith which is a very long hadith and that Ramadan is beautified or prepared يعني, with, with يعني, decoration or beautification from the beginning of the year until the next يعني, Ramadan is a very enjoyable and important time for the Muslims this hadith has been reported by Ibn Khuzayma by Imam Ibn Khuzayma rahimahullah Hadith number 1886, no need to mention the numbers, but Ibn Khuzayma mentioned it in his book, As-Sahih, the Sahih Ibn Khuzayma, and so also it was mentioned by Ibn Jawzi, Rahimahullah, in his book, Kitab al-Mawdu'at. Kitab al-Mawdu'at is a book in which Imam Ibn Jawzi, Rahimahullah, mentioned fabricated hadith. But not all the hadith he mentioned in that book are fabricated. Some of the scholars came after him and uh, examined those hadith. Sometimes they agree with him and sometimes they said these hadith are not really fabricated. Some of them are just weak. as fabricated. Abu Ya'la mentioned it in his Musnad uh, as has been attributed to him by Al-Hafiz Ibn Hazir Askalani in his book Al-Mutalib Al-Aliyah uh, and this hadith is transmitted by way of Jarir Ibn Ayyub Al-Bajali from Al-Sha'bi from Nafi'i Ibn Barda from Abi Mas'ud al-Ghaffari. This is the isnad of the hadith. This hadith has been classified as a fabrication and that fabrication is attributed to Jarir ibn Ayyub. Uh, 
in the biography of this reporter, Jariyah, Muhafiz ibn Hajib al-Asqalani in his book, Lisan al-Mizan, says that he is mashhoor bid-da'af. He is well known to be a weak, weak, unacceptable reporter. Then he mentions from Abu Nu'im, he's saying, concerning this reporter, Jariyah ibn Ayyub, Abu Nu'im said, كَانَ يَدْعَى الْحَدِيثِ he used to fabricate hadith. He used to fabricate hadith. There's no stronger uh, classification or description that anyone can give to a narrator after saying that he used to fabricate hadith. Whoever who is known to fabricate hadith, that uh, reporter is rejected completely and all of his narrations, any chain that contains that reporter will be rejected automatically. Even if the isnad had been reported through, or even if the metin had been reported through other chains of narration which were authentic. But that one containing him would be rejected. Al-Imam Al-Bukhari said concerning him, Munkar al-Hadith, and Al-Imam Al-Nasai, rahimahullah, said matruq. And the saying of Imam Bukhari, since he was from the Mu'atadilin, the Mu'atadilun scholars who used to classify hadith, he was very balanced and fair. And Al-Imam Al-Bukhari, rahimahullah, was known for not using stern or harsh, language when he described the narrative. Even if he was the weakest of weak, perhaps the most he would say is something like this, Munkar al-Hadith. But he, he wouldn't say that the person is a liar, a fabricator. He was known not to use such language. But if he said Munkar al-Hadith, Imam al-Bukhari, then know that that, that narrator is absolutely rejected. He is absolutely rejected. And Nasai said that he is matruq, yani that he has been rejected, left by the scholars and his Narrations, if a, if a reporter has been described as matruq, uh, then his reports are of the lowest grade. Yani that's the, the worst that it can be, other than if somebody says that it's fabricated. Yani matruq is the worst that you can say uh, after fabrication. So you can see from the descriptions of the acceptable and reliable scholars of hadith that this hadith is rejected is very very weak if not fabricated. Therefore, it is not right that anyone should attribute it to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Also he mentioned that Imam Ibn Jawzi, since he mentioned in his book Al-Mawdu'at, he also classified this narrator as a fabricator of hadith. And he classified him as a fabricator of hadith. And Ibn Khuzayma, after reporting the hadith, in his book As-Sahih, he said, إن صح الخبر فإن في القلب من جرير بن يوب البجلي يعني ابن خزيمة نارد الحديث but he said إن صح يعني if the hadith if the خبر or this hadith remember he said خبر it is sometimes used uh, يعني equally or with the same meaning as hadith he said that if it was صحيح so that means that there is doubt about it and he said that in his heart there is some يعني fear or some doubt about the authenticity of it. And in fact, the hadith is rejected. The second hadith is probably the most famous hadith that we hear of those rejected hadith that shouldn't be attributed to the Prophet ﷺ, that which has been narrated on the authority of Salman al-Farisi radiallahu anhu. May Allah be pleased with him. And it has been falsely attributed to Salman. It's not really a statement that Salman has heard from the Prophet ﷺ, but it is a very, very weak hadith uh, which has been attributed to Salman 
that the Prophet said, Azim. O people, he came out to them and said, O people, that a very great month has come to you. A month which contains a night which is better than a thousand months. And this is this point of the hadith is confirmed in the Quran. And Allah has made its fasting obligatory for you and standing in the night as a voluntary act. Whoever seeks to get near to Allah, يعني, من تقرب فيه بخصلة من الخير كان كمن أدى فريضة فيما سواه That whoever does any good deed, a voluntary deed in the month of Ramadan, he will be, it will be as though he has done an obligatory deed in any other time. يعني, the reward for doing a voluntary deed in Ramadan would be like the reward for the one who, who performs an obligatory deed in any other time outside of Ramadan and whoever does an obligatory deed in it وَمَنْ أَدَّى فَرِيدَةً فِيهِ كَانَ كَمَنْ أَدَّى سَبْعِينَ فَرِيدَةً فِي مَا سِوَاهُ Whoever does an obligatory deed in Ramadan will get the reward equal like the one who does uh, 70 obligatory deeds in, in any other time outside of Ramadan and then he says وَهُوَ شَهْرٌ أَوَّلُهُ رَحْمَةً it is a month whose beginning, the first part of it is mercy and the middle of it is forgiveness and the end of it or the last part of it is freedom from the fire. This is a very famous hadith which on the radio you will hear almost every day somebody mentioning it and all the books mentioning it. Uh, and it's a long hadith, this is the part of it that is significant. This hadith has also been reported by Ibn Khuzayma and Muhammadi. Uh, Al-Asbahani and other scholars mention it and the important thing in this hadith is the isnad it, it is coming by way of Ali ibn Zayd ibn Jud'an Ali ibn Zayd ibn Jud'an from Sayyid ibn Musayyib who is the imam of the Tabi'een from Salman al-Farisi radiallahu anhu but the problem in the, in the isnad is Ali ibn Zayd and Jud'an this hadith is a very weak hadith Ibn Sa'ad, Mahabir Ibn Sa'ad said, فِيهِ دَعَقْ وَلَا يَحْتَجْ بِهِ But he is, a, he, he, he is a weak narrator and he shouldn't be used. يعني the hadith which he reports cannot be used as a proof. And Imam Ahmed Ibn Hanbal rahimahullah said, لَيْسَ بِالْقَوِيِّ He is not a strong reporter. Yahya Ibn Na'im said, rahimahullah, ضَعِيف He is a daif narrator. وَقَالْ Ibn Abi Kufayma, ضَعِيف فِي كُلِّ شَيْءٍ He is weak in everything. يعني he is weak in everything. Uh, Ibn Khuzaymah But I really don't accept his hadith due to the weakness or his poor memory and this has been mentioned in Tahdeeb, Tahdeeb the book of the narrators or the biographies of the narrators of hadith of the Qutb al-Sitta al-Bukhari, Abu Dawud, uh, Muslim, Abu Dawud, Tirmidhi, Ibn Madi, Nasai uh, he said in this, these comments are mentioned by Al-Hafiz Ibn Hadi Iskalani Tahdeeb Al-Tahdeeb Also, Imam Ibn Khuzaymah after narrating this hadith in his book he saved himself by saying in Sahha in Sahha Al-Khabar yani if the hadith is Sahih that means that although he narrated but he had doubt about it in reality Al-Hafiz Ibn Hajj in another of his books Al-Atraf he said that this, the basis or the point of consideration in the chain of narrative of this hadith is Ali ibn Zayd ibn Jud'an wa huwa da'if and he is a weak narrator and this has been transmitted from Imam al-Suyuti in his book Jam' al-Jawami great book of hadith that many of the 
other books يعني, uh, that contain many of the other books of hadith uh, and finally Ibn Abi Hatim the great scholar of hadith and one of the specialists uh, of and who wrote a very important book concerning the criticism of marriage hadith and ilal, yani hidden defects in hadith he reported from his father Abu Hatim in his book ilal al-hadith hadith munkar that this hadith is munkar and munkar is one of the worst or the severest classifications of a hadith so also this hadith as you can see by many of the very very well known and reliable scholars of hadith it is rejected because of Ali ibn Zayd ibn Jud'an he being a weak uh, and rejected report of hadith the third hadith is the hadith sumu wa tusuhu fast and have good health and in that fasting is a means of good health whoever wants to have good health they should fast and in fact we know that fasting the objective of fasting is to earn the pleasure of Allah لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ and that we fast in order to earn the pleasure of Allah to achieve a taqwa uh, this hadith, this is a part of a hadith reported by Ibn Adi in his book Al-Kamil uh, uh, from Dahaq, from Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma, may Allah be pleased with him and his father so he says that um, this hadith the ended chain there is a narrator Nahshal ibn Sa'id who is matruq wa kana yakzib that he is matruq yani it is almost the lowest level of rejection of a narrator and he used to lie and whoever the reporters who are known for lying in their affairs with the people but maybe not necessarily being accused of fabricating against the Prophet then they would be classified as matruq because whoever was known to tell lies then we can't accept from them yani the most important thing that which is related to the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, and also not only that but also at Dahaq he didn't hear hadith from Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma yani, uh, though he was a tabi'i but it is said that he didn't hear hadith from Ibn Abbas which would mean that there must have been an intermediary between him and Ibn Abbas who has been deleted from the isnad which means that there is a break in the isnad which means that the hadith is rejected for two reasons because of one of the reporters who is matruq which is the, almost the severest of criticism and also because there is a break in the isnad and we don't know who it is this hadith was reported by Tabrani in his book Ma'jam al-Awsaq and we said before that Imam al-Tabrani has three main books amongst the many books that he wrote the big one uh, al-Kabir and al-Awsaq the middle one and al-Saghir al-Sughra the, the, the middle one the three, the three compilations of hadith by Imam al-Tabrani it's also mentioned by Abu Nu'im in his book At-Tib al-Nabawi uh, and also Tayyip and uh, this has been mentioned in the Takhrij of Al-Ihya Ihya al-Din by Imam al-Zazari Rahimahullah uh, and it is containing in the chain of narrators uh, also Muhammad ibn Sulaiman ibn Abi Dawood from Zuhair ibn Muhammad from Suhail ibn Abi Salih from Abu Huraira and this Isnad is weak uh, Abu Bakr al-Afram said that I heard Ahmed meaning Imam Ahmed ibn Hamma rahimahullah mentioning that 
this riwayah from the Shamiin, the people of Sham, from Zuhair ibn Muhammad, and he said that he narrates, that they, they are narrate, that Zuhair is narrating hadith from him, a hadith manakir, yani a hadith which are munkar, hadith which are severely criticized and rejected. Uh, also, Abu Hatim, Imam Abu Hatim rahimahullah said, he heavily so, and that his memory was poor. وَكَانَ حَدِيثُهُ بِالشَّامِ أَنْكَرُ مِنْ حَدِيثُهُ بِالْإِرَاقِ لِسُوءِ حِذْبِهِ And his hadith which he narrated from the people of Sham were worse than his hadith which he narrated from the people of Iraq due to the poorness of his memory and this is narrated from the people of Sham. So that means that it is the worst of his narrations. Al-Ajli, Rahimahullah said, these hadith uh, but these hadith are from the hadith which narrated from Ahl Sham, uh, from him, لا تعجبني, يعني, that they don't please me, and he doesn't accept these hadith, and also it is said that Muhammad ibn Suleiman Shami, I have mentioned Tariq ibn Damascus, and his narration from Zuhair, as has been mentioned by the Imams of Hadith Amunkara, and this Hadith is one of them. Meaning that this Hadith is Munkar is of the lowest grade of Hadith also to be rejected. The last Hadith uh, is also a very very famous Hadith, and quickly we try to go through it because of the shortness of time. It is the Hadith in which it is reported that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "Man aftara yawman min Ramadan min ghairi uzr wala mard." That whoever breaks the fast of one day in Ramadan without an excuse and without a legal excuse and not due to sickness, لم يقضيه ثوم الدهر وانصامه that he couldn't make up for it even if he fasted for the whole year. And if he fasted for the whole year, he wouldn't make up for the one day in which he broke the fast of Ramadan without a shari legal reason. The problem with this hadith is that Imam al-Bukhari rahimahullah reported it. Mu'allakan. Mu'allak, we said, means what? Means the hadith in which the collector of hadith, he, he narrates the hadith with an incomplete chain. And the break is from his side, from the position of Bukhari. He didn't say who was his shaykh, or his shaykh's shaykh, and so on. Yani, the, the chain is broke from his side. Therefore, the hadith should be rejected. He narrated that hadith in a chapter heading, not as a part of his sahih, a jami of sahih. He narrated it in a chapter heading. And we should know, that of the minhaj of Imam al-Bukhari rahimahullah is that sometimes he used to narrate hadith which didn't meet his conditions for sahih in a chapter heading and it's not considered part of his book it doesn't have a number it doesn't have a number the hadith of the sahih all of them have a number they are numbered but if it's in a chapter heading without a number it's not considered part of the sahih and some people unknowingly saw it in the book and they said it's from the sahih of al-Bukhari and they in many books you will find and I've seen it innumerable times Rawahu al-Bukhari and it's wrong to say a hadith which Bukhari mentions in a chapter heading without a number it's wrong to say Rawahu al-Bukhari because if you say Rawahu al-Bukhari it means that Bukhari narrated in his sahih and he didn't narrate it in his sahih but he narrated muallakan with a broken isnad uh, therefore yani, we shouldn't be deceived if we see this hadith mentioned somewhere and it says reported by Bukhari don't be deceived by that it doesn't really have any meaning this hadith, it has been given with a complete chain 
by Al-Imam Ibn Khuzaym rahimahullah and also Al-Tirmidhi, Abu Dawood, Ibn Majah, Nasai, and Al-Qubra in his big Sunan, uh, and Al-Bayhaqi, and Ibn Hajj al-Askarani, rahimahullah, in his book, Taghleek, Al-Ta'aliq, which is a book in which all of the hadith reported by Al-Bukhari without complete chains, Al-Hafiz Ibn Hajj al-Askarani, attempted to collect other asanid, or chains of narration for those hadith which have complete chains, to support those reports of Imam al-Bukhari which he reported without a complete chain. So he also mentioned it there, and it is by way of Abi al-Mutawwus, from his father, from Abu Hurairah. And the point in the Isnad, where the problem is, is here, at Abu, Abi al-Mutawwus, and also his father, who he heard the hadith from, who heard it from Abu Hurairah, according to the Isnad. Al-Hafiz ibn Hajj al-Asqalani said that the scholars have differed uh, concerning this hadith. It has three defects. The first of them is al-Ibtirab, the second of them is al-Jahl bihal Abi Mutawwas, and the third of them is shak fi sama' abihi min Abi Hurairah. Yani the first part of the hadith is mudtarib. There are three defects. The first of them is Muttarab. We said Muttarab means a hadith which has been reported by more than one chain or by various chains which are equal in strength so that we cannot give precedence to one over the other. And at the same time we cannot make reconciliation between them. There is a contradiction in this narration contradicting the other narration and we cannot reconcile between them. Therefore, if we cannot make reconciliation and we cannot show that one is stronger than the other giving preference to one over the other, then that hadith has to be rejected and this is the hadith called Muttarib. So this is the first problem with it. The second one is that one of the narrators, Abi and Mutawwas, he is Majhul. He is Majhul. And we said that a narrator who is Majhul is of two types. Uh, in any case, the meaning of Majhul is that though we know him, we know his name, we probably know his lineage and not a lot of things about him, but what we don't know is whether or not he's a reliable narrator. And that's very important. That's the most important thing to know. Is he a reliable narrator? And when we don't know so, the hadith is rejected. So here on two counts, the hadith has been rejected. And the third one, that there is doubt about whether or not the father of Abu Mutawwas actually heard hadith from Abu Hurairah anhu. Therefore, if we cannot confirm his hearing hadith from him, remember we said, in order for Isnad to be complete, Muttasal, we have to have proof that the person, that every person in the Isnad heard the hadith from the Shaykh who he is narrating from. If there is doubt that the father of Abu Mutawwas heard the hadith from Abu Hurairah then we cannot say that the Isnad is complete. So here there are three counts yani, for which this hadith should be rejected. And this is yani, the end of what we can say today concerning the hadith that we wanted to mention. Uh, to examine the Isnad and to try to apply some of the rules and the uh, information that we study in the Mustala Hadith uh, to practical, yani use it, uh, try to use it practically and see how did the scholars discuss these Hadith and how we can understand what they said and understand why they accepted or rejected a particular Hadith. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika, ashadu an la ilaha illa anta, astaghfirka, atubu ilayk. If there are any comments or corrections or questions, uh, in the next few moments until they are then we can uh, take this time. If the sisters have any questions, you can write them and send them over. Any questions from the brothers? Or any comments? Yeah. Now they have to be examined, for sure. Uh, everyone other than the Sahaba, the credibility, 
concerning their character as well as their accuracy or memory in reporting have to be examined because not all of the tabi'un are reliable reporters now still it doesn't mean that because he's a student of sahaba that his memory has to be to the accuracy that we will accept his hadith perhaps his memory is very good and we will say that hadith which he narrates are sahih or perhaps his memory is good but not يعني, of that high level then we will say the hadith are still accepted from him يعني, the majority of his hadith which he narrates he narrates accurately then we will say his hadith is hasan but maybe his memory is poor even though he is tabi his memory could be poor or even not only that but even in reference to his adala or his character there may be some problem uh, some innovation spread in time of tabi'in so if he is from one of the groups of innovation then we might reject his hadith for this reason also so we have to look uh, of course the innovation in that time was less than the innovation that came after that but it began in the lifetime of sahaba after the death of the prophet ﷺ, the innovation began with the khawarij uh, and the rafidah shia and so on so we have to look at these things even for the tabi'i we have to examine his accuracy uh, in reporting and we have to examine his character the Shia or that, those who refer to the Shia in the time of Tabi'in primarily are not like the, what we call Shia today but what was referred to as the Shia in that time it means those who used to give preference to Ali radiallahu anhu over Abu Bakr al-Umar not that they thought he was divine or he was a god or any of those things but they considered him as being preferable and even though that was an error, but it's not like the Shia of today. So that's the Shia in that time, we should make a distinction between those who may have been referred to as Shia in the time of Tabi'in and what we know today as being the Shia or Rafidah. Is there a comment, uh, Ahmed? Any other question? Uh, let me just mention here also, I brought the paper. It was uh, taken from the internet and it's a book that was recently published concerning fasting, 70 matters related to fasting by Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih in Najib and uh, uh, it was uh, printed perhaps to be distributed here even so perhaps some of you may come across this booklet uh, or you may have the book or you may see it on the internet and there are some problems with the translation and other points but the main thing that I wanted to mention is point number 60 if anyone has this book or this uh, handout uh, there is a mention here where he says if a person breaks his fast thinking that the sun has already set when it has not thinking that the sun has already set when it has not he must make up the fast later on according to the majority of scholars because the principle is that it is still day and a fact that is certain cannot be rejected in favor of something doubtful Shaykh Islam ibn Taymiyyah held that it is not necessary for a person in this situation to make up the fast that's the end of his comments related to the first point in point number 60 and then he goes on in the same point to mention another point but let me stop here to say that the opinion of Shaykh Hussain is the correct opinion that if a person tries to determine the time of sunset and mistakenly errs due to cloud or something then they are not required to make up the fast and the proof of this it happened in time of Sahaba in time of Umar al-Khattab they thought due to clouds that the sun had set and they broke their fast and shortly thereafter the sun came out and there is no record that they made up the fasting or that the Prophet ﷺ told them to do so and therefore we shouldn't say without a proof that the person who mistakenly of course after they made the effort to determine the sunset but they erred by mistake then there is no need to make up the fast and then he says if dawn breaks and a person has food 
or drink in his mouth. The fuqaha, the scholars of fiqh, are agreed that he should spit it out and his fast is valid. And if at the time of the uh, break of dawn, if a person has food in their mouth or, or drink in their mouth, the fuqaha, the scholars of fiqh, are in agreement that he should spit it out and his fast is valid. This is like the ruling on one who eats or drinks because he forgets then remembers he is fasting, if he hastens to spit out the food or drink in his mouth, his fast is still valid. This is also wrong, clearly wrong opinion. The correct opinion, if a person has food in their mouth or drink in their mouth, they don't have to spit it out, even if they have it in a container in their hand. They may finish it, they may eat it or drink it, as is reported in the authentic hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, from Abu Hurairah, reported in the Muslim of Ahmed, in the Sunan of Bayhaqi, in the Mustadrak al-Hakim, and the Sunan of Abu Dawood, إِذَا سَمِعَ أَحَدُكُمْ النِّدَاءِ if anyone hears the, the call, that is the call to prayer, the adhan, while he has his utensil or his drinking or eating container in his hand, فَلَا حَتَّى مِنْهُ Then he shouldn't put it down until he fulfills his need from that food or that drink. Yeah, I mean, whatever he has in his hand, he is allowed by the sharia. Even though the dawn has, bro- has broke, and in fact, the fast begins at the break of dawn. But if a person, this is an exception to the general rule, if a person has that food in their hand, or drink in their hand, then they may eat it or they may drink it. This is an authentic hadith, the Isnad is Hassan, from the Prophet So this also is a wrong opinion, that if you have food in your mouth, you have to spit it out. If you have it in your hand, you don't have to put it down. The Prophet said, And he, he prohibited us from putting it down. Don't put it down. And this is a prohibition from putting it down. Then you shouldn't put it down until you eat it. Of course, that doesn't mean if you have a whole table in front of you, that you should continue eating for half an hour. But if you have something in your hand, you're allowed to eat it. This is the mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is the correct opinion here. So I just wanted to mention that, because I think this paper would be given out by the ladies committee here in Doha. And we want to make sure that if anyone gets it, that we should try to mention to the people that this is an error. Actually, I mentioned it to them, but I don't know if they corrected it in their handout. So perhaps they have corrected it, insha'Allah. Any other comment or questions? Naam.